Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship in the name of Christ. Before we begin our worship service, I want to point out a few announcements on the back of the bulletin. I'll get into them quickly. The youth are meeting tonight uh, across the street at the Brownleys at 7 p.m. If you're part of that, we'd love for you to be there. Um, Summer Bible Club, what we've been doing on Wednesdays uh, for our children, is not meeting this week and it's not meeting next week. So we're taking two weeks off. But in light of that, um, Vacation Bible School is not this week, but the next. Information on that is, is being emailed out as well. Um, we would love for you to help with us decorating uh, tomorrow night, if you can make it. Tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Uh, is when we'll be doing that. If you have questions about that, uh, Christy McCown is in charge of all of our decorating, uh, and there will be more dates this week for you to help if you can't come tomorrow night. Lastly, we are having a family fun fellowship Sunday, June 26th, which is next Sunday. We're treating it like a fifth Sunday, even though it's not. So after the morning service, we'll join together in the Family Life Building for a meal. And then after that, we will have a ton of outdoor activities that are mainly geared for our children, but if you are brave, you may, you may be able to use them yourself if you're older than that. I, I don't know. Um, so join us for that. Um, at least join us for the meal if you don't want to be involved outside. That's all we have for our announcements. Uh, let's take a few moments to ask God by His Spirit to help us to worship Him this morning, to still our hearts and our minds so that we can uh, be able to focus on what He is uh, doing this morning through this service. Let's take some time now. I'm I'm just going to talk loud. It's working now. Okay, good. We'll try this again. This morning, we come to worship the Lord, but a Lord who did not stay distant from us, but even was willing to leave all the comforts of heaven itself in order to live in this uh, place with us, to suffer all of its trials, to bear them in His body. And in that sacrifice to make us fit for heaven. Our call to worship reminds us of all that our Savior went through, that it might lead you to worship Him. Would you stand for our call to worship? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men made their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you know the healing that his chastisement has brought you, sing and worship him. Hymn number 254, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Let's sing together 254. Our Lord Jesus, though you are eternal God, you took on human flesh, you came as a man and dwelt among us, you became a true human in our place. You left the glories and comforts of heaven to bear our griefs. We live in a veil of tears, and it is well deserved. Our sin is real. But we are redeemed and rescued because your chastisement brought us peace. It is a strange thing that the mighty maker might die for man the creature's sin. But in it we see such amazing love that gathers us into worship, that renews us in body and soul, a wonderful salvation that is beyond words. And so we come to you as we are this day with guilt and shame and fear and doubt, with anger and sadness, with pride and self-righteousness and with hope and faith and repentance. We come to you and say, receive us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and minister your grace to us as we worship you. Accomplish your purposes and exalt the Lord Jesus that we might trust in him and turn to him and be faithful in discipleship to him. And as those who wish to be disciples, we take the prayer you taught your disciples, we pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. To trust in Christ is to turn from ourselves and our own ways and to Him. And uh, as we sang, what Christ has done for us, we cannot repay, but we can give ourselves to Him, all of us. It's the only reasonable thing to do. And our uh, confession of faith from the Heidelberg Catechism talks about what that looks like, to give ourselves to God fully and completely. Would you confess your faith as an act of worship and trust with the bold print as I ask you the questions in normal print? Believer in Christ, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to His glory and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. Amen. Please be seated. As I thought about the time of prayer this morning and Father's Day, I was reminded of John chapter 17 in which Jesus is praying to the Heavenly Father. And He is praying to the Father for each person who trusts and would trust in Him. He ends His prayer saying this, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You, and these know that You have sent Me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So I'd like us to take a moment before uh, I pray for us to pray silently, uh, individually, that the love with which the Father and Son share would be evident in us. We can be praying for that in our own lives. Um, we can be praying that we would come to know in greater measure this love with which our triune God loves and enjoys and that we can show this love through our repentance and our joy in Christ. So I invite you to take a few moments um, to be with God in prayer, in conversation, talking to Him. And after a few moments of silent prayer, I'll lead us in corporate prayer. Let's go to God now. Dear God, you created the sun, and by just a few degrees increasing in temperature, we're reminded of how weak we are just stepping out of the house. And the power of the sun is unquestionable, and yet it's only one of an uncountable quantity of stars in which you created in your joy and your glory. God, you created us down to the very hairs on our head, and you've blessed us with a church to strengthen, encourage, and challenge us. We thank you and we offer our praise to you this morning. You're worthy of all glory and honor. Holy Spirit, we pray, help each one of us to grieve, as the confession said, to grieve with heartfelt sorrow when we've offended you by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. 
We pray you would give us a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all the good works which he's prepared for us. Father, all of us have some understanding of what a good father is and whether we've experienced that in our life or only have seen it for others, we, we know of it. And in, in your relationship to your son, we see the love in which our earthly fathers can only faintly point us to. You give and receive love in all things, with no pride or selfishness, with no anger or impatience, with no hatred or resentment, but with all joy and gladness. We thank you, Lord, when our earthly fathers point us to your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for the good examples we have in this church of what it means to be a father. I pray you would encourage our hearts today in that, that you would comfort us and as we mourn for the fathers who were once with us or for the fathers we wish we had. Lord, the fathers here this morning know how flawed and imperfect we are. Would you help us to move quickly to repentance with our families and friends and give us the joy of the Spirit? Lord, as we look ahead to this week, uh, General Assembly, which is the gathering of all the elders in our denomination to consider the business of your church and your uh, work in this denomination, I pray that you would bring unity and clarity of doctrine uh, so that the gospel and your glory would shine and that peace would reign in our denomination for your sake and for your churches. Lord, as we prepare for vacation Bible school next week, I ask that you would make it so our children would hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. Lord, we celebrate Josh and Hannah McCown's wedding this, this weekend. We pray that you would bless their union and help them in the hard work of developing and strengthening their marriage. We pray you would soften their hearts toward one another. And God, because we love Robert Higginbotham, we ask for continued success for the baseball team that is up north. Uh, We thank you for uh, the joy that that has brought him and his family. God, we ask that you would continue to be with us in strength, and enjoy this morning for our worship. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
our Father in heaven. You provide for us like a good and gracious Father who knows how to take care of your children. You're a God who, when His children ask for bread, You won't give a stone when we ask for fish. You don't give a serpent, but rather you know how to give good gifts. And so we return some of our gifts to you as an offering, a recognition, an act of worship, our faith in you that you provide. And we recognize that beyond what you provided for our bodies and for our health and our physical lives, you have provided for our souls so abundantly Above all, you won't even withhold your spirit from us. So we pray with thanksgiving and trust and ask you to use this offering for all those purposes that honor Christ and please you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare for God's holy word, would you take your hymnals and find 39 and let's sing together, O God, most holy are your ways, 39. Please be seated. You turn your Bibles to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I expect that there have been some moments in life Uh, perhaps even today, for some of us, in which you, you know, get in the car and you hear uh, an an upbeat or cheerful song and you just think, I can't do that right now. So you, you know, just turn the radio off because you simply can't find something that you could tolerate. Sometimes, if you live in a world that has been polluted by sin, has turned away from God, that is marked by curse and experiences what sin breaks, there's sadness. And Psalm 77 is one of those psalms that says, from God to you, I know you're sad. And I want you to come to me when you're sad. But it's actually bigger than that. If you look at the the inscription. That's the, at least in my Bible, it's in like all capital letters right before verse 1. The bold print of the heading at the, um, 
editors put in, that's not what I'm talking about. It's probably in all capital letters. It's probably kind of a light print, but it's, you know, it's, it says this. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. That's part of the original text. That's, that's identifying the psalm for us. Asaph wrote that to let us know what kind of psalm this is to the choir master. That means he was writing it for someone who was going to lead the choir in the tabernacle or the temple when people gathered for worship. They were supposed to sing this psalm together. Now, why would we have such sad songs? I mean, at some level we say God is in control and he is great and awesome. Last week we looked at all the reasons we praise God and they're overflowing. And then Paul says things like this, rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. There is reason for a joy that cannot be overwhelmed or overcome regardless of what you are experiencing. But that does not mean that Christians don't get sad. So God says, I'm going to give you words when you're sad because you're going to be sad. And I want you to see that sadness is mature faith. It's not a sign of immaturity or somebody who doesn't see things clearly. Sadness is actually mature faith. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. It's to be expected. It's part of our lives. In fact, more than any other emotion in the Psalms is sadness. About 50 Psalms have this note or even entire emphasis on lament. Jeremiah wrote an entire book on lament. Habakkuk is a book where the prophet says, I don't understand God, and he laments. There is lament from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. And lest you think it's just these weak men who are like, I don't understand what God is doing, Jesus, as we already read, was known as a man of sorrows. Now, I'm sure that he laughed at times, but the Scriptures don't record his laughter. It does say that when he was with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. It does say that as he looked out over Jerusalem and he knew the judgment that was coming, he began to weep. See? Sadness is mature. And then there's one last reason why we really need God to give us words for our sadness. is because sometimes I need to come be sad with someone else when I'm not naturally sad. Paul says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now you get a gathering of this size, and we probably have people who are rejoicing and people who are weeping. And you're supposed to be able to do both with them and at the same time. So we rejoice. God has given us many blessings and reasons to rejoice. And we weep because the world is broken and there is a great deal of pain and we feel it. And one of the dangers when we don't have words for how to weep with those who weep is that we try to just get them to stop weeping. We think that it's more healthy or more mature to just be okay. Richard Sibbs, in his book, uh, The Bruised Reed, talks about how necessary it is for God to lead us through things that are hard. And he says what will happen is we'll see someone going through something that's hard and want to fix it. Here's what he says about that. Now, he, he, he doesn't mince his words, so be prepared. Ungodly spirits, ignorant of God's ways in bringing his children to heaven, censure broken-hearted Christians as miserable persons. Censure is to label or kind of tell them they're doing it wrong. They censure broken-hearted Christians as miserable persons, whereas God is doing a gracious good work with them. It is no easy matter 
to bring a man from nature to grace and from grace to glory, so unyielding and intractable are our hearts. Sibs says, with all grace and all candor, there is no path from here to glory that isn't through a valley of death, that isn't through sadness and brokenheartedness. And sometimes we don't even want to talk about it with each other because we're so uncomfortable with it. So God says, here are words you can use. Psalm 77. Would you pray with me before we read it? Father in heaven, we spend a few minutes here meditating on your words that help us bring our emotions real and even raw to you in worship. Help us to take these words and use them so that we can learn to be whole persons before you, mature in our emotions, sanctified with them as we come to worship you with our real hearts. God, give us your mercy and grace. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 77, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What is a God great like you? You are a God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. And your arrows flashed on either, every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word. It's completely true and utterly trustworthy. There are a number of great writings on the Psalms. Uh, Tim Keller's got a, a devotional. It's really good. The Songs of Jesus, where it's about the Psalms taken piece by piece over the course of a year. Dane Ortland wrote probably my all-time favorite uh, devotional book on the Psalms. It's 150 little entries, a couple of pages each. Uh, in the Lord I Take Refuge. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And then the sort of standard when it comes to reading the Psalms is The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon. When Spurgeon gets to chapter 77, you need to know that, in the, that, that Spurgeon was considered by I don't know, pretty much everyone who knows, one of the, maybe the best, English speaking, see, you can't even do it, English speaking, English speaking preachers ever. I mean, there are no preachers who read his sermon and going, yeah, I don't know. We all go, why can't? But then I heard someone say, would you be willing to bear what he bore to preach the way he preached? For the last 25 years of his life, virtually every week in the middle of the week, he had something that would be very similar to a deep and dark depression. He would almost certainly be diagnosed as something like bipolar today. 
I want you to hear what he said. This is from his commentary on Psalm 77. Some of us know what is both physically and spiritually to be compelled to use these words. No respite has been afforded us. By the silence of the night, our bed has been a rack to us. Instead of a soft, comfortable bed, it's like the rack of torture, just lying there, unable to get your mind on anything else but your pain. Our body has been in torment, our spirit in anguish, and it was not his body alone which smarted, but his noblest nature writhed in pain, his faith and his soul arrived in pain. His life itself seemed crushed into the earth. It is in such a case that death is coveted as relief, for life becomes an intolerable burden. With no spirit left in us to sustain our infirmity, our case becomes forlorn, like a man in a tangle of briars who's stripped of his clothes. Every hook of the thorns becomes the lancet, and we bleed with 10,000 wounds." Alas, my God, the writer of this exposition, Spurgeon himself, well knows what thy servant Asaph meant, for his soul is familiar with the way of grief. Deep glens, deep valleys, and lonely caves of soul depression, my spirit knows full well, your awful glooms. Selah. He says that here because he understands that what you're to do when you read the Psalms, you get to that word selah. It's not supposed to be read. It's, it's to, to pause, just to sit for a second. So after he describes his own experience, he says, selah. Let the song so softly, this is no, let the song go softly. This is no merry dance for the swift feet of the daughters of music. Pause ye a while and let the sorrow take breath. between her sighs. Sometimes the Christian simply has to sit in sadness. And so we need psalms like Psalm 77 because we have these days of trouble. That's what he says, verse 2, in the day of trouble I seek the Lord. That's what he describes his life like at that moment. And he doesn't tell us what the trouble is. There's at least a few speculatings, of course, that say this might have been the kind of psalm that someone would write when they saw Babylon coming. And they'd heard the prophets like Jeremiah and others who were saying that Babylon will come and will destroy the city and carry them off captive. This is God's judgment. And here is a faithful person who's listened to the prophets, who sees it coming, and can only be sad. It is God's terrible judgment. Habakkuk says the same thing. He sees Assyria and what Assyria has done. He goes, God, all this violence. And, they, and God says, don't worry, I've got a plan for Assyria. It's Babylon. And he goes, that's worse, not better. Here's the psalmist is saying something like that. You, what you're doing, God, doesn't seem better. It seems worse. You ever been there? You ever felt like what God has done is you're, you're praying for something and instead of him giving you relief, it got worse? And you were kind of like, okay, God, hang on. If you're going to make it worse, can I stop asking for things and just keep it here? Um, because he doesn't tell us what the trouble is, we, we can apply it to all those things we feel are trouble. That means this is sort of a universal psalm if you've ever felt troubled. Here's what Dane Ortland says in his devotional. An estranged relationship, a habitual sin, a public embarrassment, Sustained depression, a physical malady, a tormented conscience. Did I cover everybody? This kind of trouble begins to, he does the right thing, right? I cry aloud to God. He goes to God in prayer. And he even says, God will hear me, verse 1. But then he goes, 
In the day I seek the Lord, in the night I keep praying with my hands outstretched and I don't get tired. I'm not giving up. He's praying and praying and it's all he can do. This is a faithful man. This is not someone who's an unbeliever in rebellion, suffering the anger of God. This is a child of God who knows his father and speaks to him. And he does so continually. And in this moment, he says, I can't do anything else. And even now, I can find no comfort. End of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. There's no distraction I can't eat something, I can't sleep, I can't entertain myself. The trouble is consuming and overwhelming. The grief will not be ignored. The pain of soul is too close. And so I can only pray, and it's just ongoing in Verse 3, you get at the magnitude, the very heart of his sadness. It's not just what the externals are. He's feeling all this, but it's done something to him. When I remember God, I moan. His memory of God, when he thinks about God, when he meditates, his spirit faints. He goes, this all used to be strength for me. I would think about God, and I would meditate on God, and I would gain strength now. I don't get it. This whole sense of pain and sadness has made it so that even when I go talking to God, it costs me strength and I grow weary. And how does God respond? Well, He delays. He delays. Look what He says in verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I can't sleep. My my the only way I'm gonna be able to sleep, God, is if you comfort me and I can't sleep. And then he says, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I can't sleep, I can't talk to anyone. I remember when it wasn't like this. I remember when I would sing and I would meditate and it would be good. But those days seem like a long, long time ago. Can you feel the weight of his heart? This faithful believer in the living God is heart sick. I need you to note he longs to experience again the favor of God, but it just seems like it's out of his reach. And I need you to know that in might be sometimes that there are spiritual causes to this kind of depression, this kind of melancholy and sadness, this kind of heart pain, but it's not always spiritual. You are a physical, social, emotional, and psychological being. God has made you that way, and it all works together. And so all of these things can happen. And so, you know, I want to, as a, you know, my field is in the spiritual realm. I can talk about where health looks like there. If you're in this place where there's no comfort and the sadness can't leave you alone, you should do a couple of things. One, you should probably see a doctor. You should think about whether or not your social life is constructive and healthy. Are you tending to your physical well-being? All of it goes together. You need to be the whole person. But this psalmist knows that some component of his sadness is his distance from God, and he's got to address it. Here's what he says. My spirit made a diligent search. He began to do this thing that would require him effort. He would pursue his soul. He would pursue 
truth, and he would have to do some work. There were thoughts, there were emotions, they were coming to him quite naturally. They were easy, like falling off a cliff. The sadness, the insomnia, it came to him, no effort. But he said, I'm going to do this hard work in the midst of this sadness that I'm going to pierce through it and I'm going to bring some new thoughts in with it. <laughs> Here are the thoughts that he could start with. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? This is a question that he starts to ask. His diligent search is, is God really going to spurn me forever? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Did God stop loving? Are his promises at an end? Will God keep his promises? Or will he fail them? Has God forgotten to be gracious? He's a gracious God, but maybe he forgot how to be gracious. Has his anger shut up his compassion? Maybe he's angry with me, and that's why I feel this way, and that's why he's not answering. You see, I don't know if you've ever asked these questions. If you haven't, there are people in the room who have. We've felt like God was so distant that maybe he doesn't love and he's angry and that's all I'm going to get from now on. Now, if you know these are all questions that should be answered, no. Did God, will God not keep his promises? No, he'll keep them. Did God stop loving? No. Did he forget to be gracious? No. The answers are no. But his first diligent step was to ask these hard questions about which his soul is really asking in the midst of his turmoil. That's the trouble. The answers are obvious, but the emotion feels them and says they are not. So what does he do to address his soul? Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. His diligent search doesn't come easy. It comes with work and effort. But he brings along what he knows about God because he's read the Scriptures, because he's heard God's words, because he knows what God has done. He says, I'm going to look back outside of my circumstances and say, what is God like? And he starts to look and he goes, you know, God came to us when we were slaves in Egypt and we weren't worshiping him, and we weren't faithful to him, and he came and rescued us. Those were great deeds. I remember throughout all of Israel's history how God was strong and mighty. He provided water from a rock, and he turned the, the Red Sea apart so we could cross on dry land, and God did all these things for us. God has acted in history, and his ancient acts reveal to us what he is like. He is a redeemer. And, and notice what he says here in verse 15. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Jacob and Joseph represent all of Israel, but think about their lives. Jacob was in the clutches of his uncle, the trickster Laban, for 20 years before he was released. Joseph was unjustly in prison for years before he got free. These are perfect examples because he could look at them and say, God delayed with them too, but then he raised them up. So he's beginning to bring alongside these easy emotions of sadness the hard truth about God. I know what God is like because I've seen him act in history. And he turns to the most important redeeming event in the Old Testament, the Exodus. The people of God were imprisoned. They were slaves in Egypt. And God, with powerful works, broke them free. He met them on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning. He writes about it. And then he says the path to get to God was through the water, but the water fled from God. His great power delivers what he is saying is that my circumstances confuse me, but God's history 
proves him to me. I want you to kind of keep that. My circumstances, my experience, my emotions, my present moment confuse me. God's history proves him to me. So he remembers these great redeeming acts and he says to himself, alongside his sadness, this is what God is doing. We're in the middle of the sea and I can't see his steps just like we couldn't see his footsteps, but God was leading then and he is leading me now. Now, you've got an advantage on the psalmist. He looked back on the exodus you look back on the cross of Jesus Christ. You look back and you say, what could God be doing? I don't know. Does he, has he stopped loving me? And here's what the cross says. When you were still a sinner, Christ loved you. God shows his love like this. When you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If you now have any interest in him, how will he stop loving you? You look back at the cross and the resurrection and you say, okay, I don't know what my circumstances are doing, but I bring alongside this thing I know about God. He wouldn't even withhold his son from me. Now, God, you might be hard to get. I may not be able to understand you, but I know this. If you wouldn't withhold your son then you must be leading me here. You must be redeeming me here. You're still applying Jesus to me. And so in my sadness, I'm going to come honestly. I'm going to ask my questions. I'm going to use your words. But what I'm going to keep doing is coming back to you because I know who you are, even if I can't understand what I'm experiencing. I want you to notice here the question he doesn't answer. In fact, the question the psalmist doesn't ask, why am I going through this? Why me? Why now? Why? God doesn't answer. And the psalmist doesn't ask. But what he says is, you know who? Because Jesus himself was a man of griefs, acquainted with sorrow. A man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. He went this path ahead of you. Your sadness, he already felt. And he says, follow me. I know where this goes. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we live in lives that are really unresolved. We don't know where things are going. Sometimes I think we're in the middle of these psalms. And, and so we, I, I preach them and we get to the end of them. But I'm still sitting in the middle. And I, I pray that you would give us stamina to do the diligent search, calling to mind your gracious acts, which really tell us the truth. They prove you to us. When my emotions and my experience and my short-sighted recognition of my circumstances confused me. God, thank you for this psalm that says when I'm sad and confused and exhausted, I can just come to you and say all those things really honestly. And I pray you would help us as your body here say those words with each other and that you would support us until we can hold on to and cling to this truth. Jesus has gone this way for us and leads us through the valley of death into eternal life. Oh, Father, give us Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you take your hymnals and turn to 689, a song to sing to your soul about the truth. Be still my soul. Let's stand and sing 689.
God does not always explain why he is doing or what he was accomplishing or where this will go. But he always does tell you the path that you're on and where he will ultimately lead you. This blessing belongs to all of God's children. And in your sadness or happiness, however you find it today, receive God's blessing for his children. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.